welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hey, guys. And Jason. Hey, everybody. So this is another of our special, shorter little bonus episodes that we've been looking into doing. We've settled on the name Quick Cuts. Probably not because they'll always be really short, because it seems we can't do that very well. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, just in reference to when there's you know quick cuts in films, like shooting through a bunch of different little shots very fast, this is where we're going to cover anything that's just not our standard format of like a long, deep dive on one film. Yeah, right. Something that comes out that's interesting, we want to go ahead and get it out right away, talk about it. Because our recording schedule, we record these well in advance, so yep. that way if something happens in personal life, so we don't have to... Deprive you, beautiful listeners, of an episode <laughs> yes, exactly. on our scheduled time drop. That would be a crime against humanity. <laughs> it would. So what are we talking about today for this second Quick Cuts episode? Uh, I think we're talking about the amusement park. The yes. newly rediscovered lost film of George Romero. Yeah. Available on Shudder. Yep, streaming yep. on Shudder. Sponsor me, please. Again, no sponsorship. We just love them. We will show them all day long. It doesn't God matter. God damn it, Shudder. Just give me a sponsorship. So I think probably at least half the movies we watched are probably on Shudder that we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, because I already pay this. for it, so I don't have to pay for something new. <laughs> so I guess the first place we should start at, we all love George Romero, I'm sure. If you're a horror fan at all, you love him yep. easily. Yep. How is there a new movie, though? Because sadly, he, he passed yeah. away several years ago. Yeah, sadly. Uh, well, yeah, like I kind of said earlier, this was made in 73, and it didn't, well, well, we'll get into this in a moment, but it didn't really go anywhere. It just sort of got shelved and forgotten about, and it was thought lost until someone found a 16 millimeter print of it, like in like 2014, 2016. Yeah, so it's actually, um, thankfully, Rue Morgue, which is a fantastic magazine, still, Mm -hmm. I mean, awesome magazine. If you don't read it, check it out. Um, they did an interview with um, George Romero's late wife, and she talked about kind of the reasoning behind getting the film out there. And she said a lot of what she talked about was that um, her and George used to play board games a lot. I think they played Scrabble mm-hmm. a lot. And uh, she asked him towards the end of his life, you know, what do you want your legacy to be? And his response was super depressing, and he said, nobody cares. Oh, and it's like, if only like George knew... I'm sure he knew. He had to know, like, because he's revered. Well, it's hard sometimes, though, whenever it's your art that you've made to, like, really, you know, get an objective look at it. Yeah, like, he did cons forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, God. Well, he was always so humble. Yeah. He was just very down to earth. He didn't have any illusions about himself. You know, I think that that was more of his way of saying, like, it just doesn't matter because I'm just me. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. But she thought for sure, you know, she's like, well, I knew about this movie and she said she'd mentioned it to him before. And he's like, it was just like a three day thing. He's like, it's a three day shoot. It's nothing. It's no big deal. And so she started asking around and apparently somebody that George had shown it to a long time ago had a print. And once they kind of worked out all the rights issues and Mm -hmm. all the shit that goes along with that, they got it touched up, which... I mean, we have to say about this movie, when you watch it, it looks awful. But there's reasons why. Well, it's a 16 millimeter film shot in 1973. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like a budget of like 37,000. But even, you know, like the hardest thing. So when you're looking at like restoring prints and stuff, we get kind of spoiled, I think, because we have these great people like Vinegar Syndrome and uh, Scream Factory. But they're usually getting pretty clean, like source material. They usually get the negatives. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're spoiled by that Mm -hmm. because we get the best of the best, like how 
the best way you could see it. But right. in this case, that didn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. They had to use just what was available. And I think there's only two. She said there's only two prints. Which is crazy to think about. Like, that's even out there of this movie. But if we think about how cool that is, though, in a time where, like, we're still looking at images of Lon Chaney mm-hmm. in a movie that's become iconic that no one's ever seen. Right. Like, and no one will ever see it. London After Midnight. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, like, how cool is that? That mm-hmm. this is a movie that was considered lost that people were involved yeah. in. So, of course, they knew it existed, but... It's always cool when they pop up. Like, mm-hmm. it's here. We can see it. So, I think before we dive deep on the actual film itself, we should just talk a little bit about Romero in general. A little celebration of him. I know yeah, we all love him. For sure. So, Jason, what would you say was your first encounter with his movies? Probably like most other people, it was Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Because it was on television all the time. I think that was me too. I caught it on like a rerun as a kid. Yeah. I remember watching it. It was on uh, A&E back mm-hmm. in the day when they actually used to play, you know, movies and <laughs> stuff that had some artistic merit. Hey, they uh, might have a dismemberment expert on there talking about <laughs> something cool. Some dismemberment. Still not sure those exist, but we'll see. <laughs> oh, they do. But it was when I was really getting into horror. I was probably like 12 or 13 you know, so starting to watch some of the more advanced stuff when it comes to horror. And I was always pretty open with older movies, so the black mm-hmm. and white didn't put me off because I was always watching older movies with like my mom and stuff like that. Yeah, I saw a lot of the Universal films early right. on, so it never yeah. made a difference I mean, to me. I mean, Jason was there before Color TV came <laughs> out. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I used to see everything live on stage. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it was very affecting. It was very scary. Mm-hmm. Especially the scene... When the young girl kills her mother in the basement. Yeah. That was so freaky. And the editing gets so weird and the sound effects and everything. But no, that left a huge impression on me. And I went out seeking everything that Romero had done. Watched all the other zombie films. Started going for the lesser known ones like Martin, the crazies, things like that. So, What about you, Michael? I would, well, it was probably when I started hardcore getting into horror mm-hmm. when I moved in with Jason. Um and I think you'd ask me something about Romero and I was like, well, I know of the zombie movies, but I don't think I've ever seen them. And you're like rectification happening now. <laughs> That's right, yeah. um, and so I think what you showed me before night of the living dead was Dawn of dead. And because you had just got that ultimate box set yeah, that yeah. came out. That's still a great that, set. Yeah. Oh, it's an awesome set mm-hmm. that has like all the different cuts of the film. Mm-hmm. And so I watched that with you and really, really dug it. And I was like, this is super cool. Um, I'd actually seen the remake of Dawn of the Dead before that. And so it was a different mind space you had to be in because I was expecting, I don't, I don't know what I was expecting, <laughs> um, but I, I feel like a lot of people well, have... Romero's version is actually you know, saying something. Exactly, but I think a lot of the problem... <laughs> Sorry, Zack Snyder fans. I, I think of one of the big problems, though, is that you'll see so many people see the remake before they see the original. Mm-hmm. And if then, they see the original. Yeah, if they see the original at all. And then... They just, I think they're skewed of mm-hmm. what they want to see. They think right. that all zombie movies are hyperkinetic and mm-hmm. uh, fast running zombies and everything. I, but Romero's is just such a different, it's saying something so much more. And I don't think we can, you know, state it enough that everything to do with zombies today in any film at all is like birthed out from the stuff that he's done. Oh yeah. It it wouldn't exist if it weren't, he's the godfather of it. And I think the thing that he does in Dawn of the Dead and all his other zombie films that a lot of people miss out when they're trying to do the same sort of thing is that like, it doesn't matter if the zombies run fast or not. Often in his films, what it is like, 
you yourself are the cause of your own demise. Some right. choice you make, something you forget to do, something you don't notice. It's never just like, you know, if it's one person yeah. and one zombie, you're going to be fine. You can probably overwhelm it or get away. Yeah. But when there's that many, it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Well, the real problem are other people. Right. You know? sure. And that's the yeah. truth of we all don't, we don't work together. We can't get along and um, we uh, undermine each other. What are others. you saying? What are you well, saying, Jason? I didn't want to do this, like, you know, during the podcast, but... I, I think we get <laughs> along just fucking fine, thank you very much, as long as you do what you're told. Uh, yes, sir. Well, Dustin, what about you? What's your it, first one? It was a lot like Jason, Night of the Living Dead. I yeah. probably caught it a rerun on TV. Um, I had already heard about it, I know, before I ever saw it, because it just has that reputation. Yeah, it's uh, been used in so many movies, because mm-hmm. it was public domain. So, right. if you're watching some other movie, chances are you've seen clips of Night of the Living Dead. If someone's watching TV, it's usually Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> yeah. So, you were exposed yeah. to it in some fashion. And I remember, too, when I first started buying movies, uh, they would sell those like DVD 50-packs yeah. of like public domain <laughs> films, and Night of the Living Dead would always be tossed in there. <laughs> yeah, it'd be some horrible, scratched-up yeah. I think the one that I ended up buying was the one that... It was a double release where they came out with it, black and white, and the colorized version mm-hmm. of it. But the black and white was cleaned up. That's cool. So the version that I have of it, not too bad. Well, yeah. now it's in the Criterion Collection, so there is like a gorgeous yeah, restoration looks, looks of it. Great. Well, I don't have that, Dustin. Oh, you should pick it up. I've got the blue. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I softballed that one. I softballed you that did. one too, that was, just that was... to get people drinking. Whatever. <laughs> um, but I think we all know him for his zombie films, but he's done so much more beyond that. Oh, yeah. So I think the next question I want to pose to you guys is: What is your favorite non-zombie film that he's done? Should I go first? Can I go first? Yeah. Martin. Martin. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. It's a great movie. Martin depressed the fuck out of me, man. And it's actually one I don't own, and I've only seen it a couple of times in its entirety, but it's the sort of movie I don't want to revisit too much. I've talked mm-hmm. about that before, how that can sometimes lose the effectiveness. Yeah. But it's just, man, it's such a good movie. It's just so, <laughs> it sounds condescending to say in a way, but it's so mature compared mm-hmm. to some of the other stuff he was doing at the time. You know, it's kind of next level. It's really heavy, too. Yeah. 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 Super. I When I watched that, I was not prepared. Right. And a lot think, of people just don't know about it. I don't think I was prepared mentally for where that movie went. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a dark place. Yeah. <laughs> it's a super dark film. Yeah. How about you, Michael? What's your... Um, it's actually getting a awesome Blu-ray release soon, but Night Monkey Riders. Shines? Oh, sorry. Night Riders. <laughs> Night Riders. Night Riders is great. Night Riders. When it's so I, much fun. When you when you told me I should check it out, that was <laughs> I was like, "Fuck, this is awesome! I want to go be in a motocross like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, night just <laughs> jousting league." And Tom Savini has a big role. Yeah, in it. Tom He's Savini. Great. Ed Harris. Ed Harris is mm-hmm. great. Is yeah. killing it in that movie. It was just a fun one. Yeah, it's just so fun. Yeah, but yeah, it's hard for I mean because I I love all the zombie stuff, but yeah, Night Riders is probably my favorite non cool. zombie. How about you, Dustin? So it's not my favorite, but I do want to real quick monkey shines. Talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that on like a random VHS rental, and I don't think I even recognized his name on the box. Oh. And then I was like, "What the hell is this movie?" <laughs> but it was really, really good. It was just it was it's so a such a strange premise. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. Oh. No, you you should give it a watch. It's worth checking out. Give it a watch. Um. But for me, <laughs> neither of you sound very endorsing. You're like, ah, has its moments. It. You're like La Rosa's. Give us a try. <laughs> the monkey's really good. Yeah. Well, you know, if you, you make a lot of movies, eventually they're not all going to be. Yeah, they, know, they can't all be winners. Um, but the crazies. Yeah. A lot of people consider that one of his zombie films a little bit because it's kind of adjacent in concept. But what I think is so cool about it is how much it focuses on the bureaucracy side of everything. Mm-hmm. Seeing how the military is coming in, all these like. 
just terrible decisions and like ignorance of the situation that just makes everything worse. Yep. It's also, almost like we just lived through that. Isn't well, it? that was the thing when, <laughs> well. when the pandemic blew up and we started going into lockdown and stuff, uh, just on a whim, I think I mentioned to Tiffany about the crazies and showed it to her. And as we watched it, I was just like, holy shit, this mm-hmm. is this is like now, basically. Yeah. That's the great thing about Romero, though. He always had that social commentary going mm-hmm. on. Because back then, that was uh, kind of a reflection of the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. what was going on there. But it stands in for so many things. It's so relevant. So even if we, like, if we could spend hours talking about the relevancy yeah. of Romero's films, but... And that's his strength, for sure. Night of the Living Dead, man. Like, let's look at the ending of that film. <laughs> is it... Like, Super dude just got sentenced to, for murder for doing, like, something very similar because shows up and there's a man of color there and immediately he's the villain. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what the situation was beforehand, yeah. suddenly he's the villain. Like, how, I, I it's mean... It's crazy how Romero says he did not cast Dwayne Jones because of his skin color. It had nothing to do with it. He said that Dwayne, Dwayne Jones was simply the best actor that applied for it, which I believe because he's great. He yeah, absolutely. But, oh, man, you cannot deny. <laughs> no. It's just, it's so, it's just, it bleeds into every single scene in that film, whether oh, yeah. he knew it did or not. The actors knew it. I'm convinced of that. Oh, absolutely. Dwayne Jones knew it. <laughs> he said, Dwayne Jones has said in interviews yeah. about it before. Yeah. But, I mean, God, man, like that scene, the ending of that film still gets oh, me yeah. every it's time. It's a gut punch. It's just because <laughs> it that's what we see. That's what we see. Mm-hmm. It's like every day I turn on the news, it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's still happening. Yeah. Unfortunately, we try not to get super political on the that's podcast, the, but it's hard that's not, not political. No, that's, just, that's, that's, that's just real life. That's the but, life, man. But sometimes it's hard not to, especially when you're talking about somebody like Romero, who's constantly poking holes in society and saying like, "This is what yeah. we need to be looking at. Yeah. This is what the problem is." Right. And I would say, even to a degree, he does that with the amusement park, which we'll get into. But, Absolutely. Um, uh, whether or not I agree with it, but a few other of his things I want to hit real quick just to go over with you guys. Uh, Creep Show, I think we got to talk about oh, that a little bit, Creep of course. Show. Amazing great. anthology, it's so much fun. Um, and tied into this idea of anthology stories, uh, he was an executive producer on Tales from the Dark Side, mm-hmm. which for me as a kid growing up, that was like a big thing that I would constantly watch on TV. Me too. That uh, that theme song used to scare the shit out mm-hmm. of me, though. That introduction. I've never seen any of those. I didn't oh, really? get. Oh wow! There's... We didn't have cable or satellite or anything till I was almost like thirteen. Oh yeah, you were deprived. Yeah, I'm sorry. Said, you right. had to like read and play outside and stuff. No, I just had a lot of movies, like a lot of. Oh, okay. I, I you remember video productions? The sleazy. Oh, I love video. The sleazy video store in town. It wasn't was like, sleazy. <laughs> no, it was darkly lit and dusty. Yeah, but like God, I would go through the racks of those like. Thankfully, my my mom's super cool, and she would take me there all the time. So mm-hmm. I wasn't into horror, but I was into, as Jason and I called them the other day, dad movies. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Quick side note. Uh, one, one of my most memorable visits to video productions was, was with Brian. He both know our friend Brian. Uh, we went there, and we're like, we're going to move for something. Oh, it's speaking of dad movies. And we picked up uh, <laughs> The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Yeah, awesome. Brought awesome. it up to the counter, and the young girl working there takes the cassette, t- takes the box, looks at it, <laughs> blows <laughs> dust off the top of it, and looks at us like, you fucking nerds. <laughs> that place is awesome, it man. Was great, yeah. That's great. Um, the Dark Half from 93. You guys yeah, seen that? I was never that big in the Dark Half. Mm-hmm. Did you like it? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, as far as like Stephen King adaptations, I think it's a pretty good one, and often gets overlooked. I think when people talk about 
Yeah. There's so many bigger ones to get into, I guess. Sure. Maybe I should give another look. Okay, and then uh, do you guys have a favorite of his dead series of films? Yeah, it's got to be Dawn. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the de facto answer, but it's, it's right. If you, I think, if you pulled reason. people, that's kind of what yeah. everyone would say it's is the greatest. So it actually shifted for me as I got older. Uh, when I was younger, it was um, Land of the Dead, mm-hmm. uh, but then it shifted for me and it became Dawn, just because of that's because you have matured as a person and a cinema watcher. No, <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I'm the outlier because actually, after really rewatching them all, uh, I think Day of the Dead is my favorite. Day was criminally underrated for a long time. Definitely when it came out and after it yeah. just kind of was in the shadow of Dawn of the Dead, I think. But once you're removed from it, there's a much more like somber tone to it yeah. compared to Dawn, yeah, which makes bleak. sense because it's kind of further into this apocalypse that's going on. But yeah, man, I just really, I love the effects. The effects are incredible. The exaggerated characters. <laughs> um, because you can tell they're all at their breaking point and they're just kind of, yeah. you know, turned up to 11 Joe because Blotto of it. Joe owns that movie. Yes. He is so great in that. And the dream in the opening where the arms kind of just like thrust out of the walls at her. Uh-huh. That's like one of the creepiest segments in any of his films, I think. I agree. Yeah. yeah. The, I think as I also got older too and kind of like, I don't think I really have a career now, but maybe you could put artist on me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But as I started seeing more of the art of mm-hmm. what was going on in the special effects world and became and like became obsessed with that. I think that's what kind of drew me away from Land of the Dead and back to Dawn of the Dead because Land didn't have as much mm-hmm. of that. I do think I mean, there's worthwhile <laughs> stuff in Land of the Land Dead. Is yeah. fun. I like Land of the Dead. It's, it's fun. fun, and I think it appealed to me at the time because mm-hmm. it's more of an action film. And so it kind of roped me in yeah. from there. But sure. then as I you know, started seeing, like, holy shit, Savini was <laughs> amazing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm now just worship at that altar. And I think when you look top level at these films as like a series that tell a story that kind of carries on in land of the dead. You definitely get the continuation of like what starts with bub in yeah. day of the dead. Yeah. I'm just glad you didn't say survival of the dead was your favorite. <laughs> we'd have, to well, let's talk friends. about the last two movies in the series. Uh, do we have to just, just a, for a minute? Uh, so there was diary of the dead. Do you guys? Yeah. yeah. I've I seen saw it. that. I saw that at the, the Kentucky theater. <clears throat> didn't care for it. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't received very well, but I kind of, I kind of championed it a little bit. Cause I feel like it's done pretty well. And I get. I think what he was trying to do was like his take on the found footage genre. I get it. And yeah. I do like that theme, the undercurrent, where like uh, there's the big moment toward the end of the film where they like question why he's still carrying around the camera, mm-hmm. and he is like sort of in desperation, like, "Oh, I have to document everything." Right. I don't know. I, it it struck me well. Okay. His wife says that that is more of a movie about social media. I can see that. Um, yeah. Which, it'd be interesting to actually go back and watch that now. That Some people do feel like they have to document everything. Right, think about his compulsion to keep filming the zombies and then the people that go and like climb the side of a cliff to take the selfie. Sure, And yeah. then they fall yeah. to their death or something. <laughs> so I actually wouldn't mind revisiting that mm-hmm. in an age where... Because when that came out, I wasn't into social media. Like People were right. using it, but I wasn't... Well, he is often ahead of the time, I think, on yeah. talking about stuff. And I think in that film, too, it's the same way. So yeah, I could go back and rewatch that. Just to go back and rewatch Survival of yeah, the so Dead. So Survival oh, of the Dead. I never actually watched that one. I, I was, remember you said that you hated it. 
yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just very disappointing. The effects, it's so much digital, bad digital I think effects. I said I wanted to watch it, and you were like, you're an idiot. <laughs> I didn't say that. I think there's neat ideas. I watched it. It wasn't make me. <laughs> I think there's neat ideas in it, but yeah, like, just with the budget and the effects and stuff, it really it really hampers what it could have been. Yeah, it's it's amazing how, and I, I applaud him for this, but he always stuck to his guns. He didn't go for the money. He, mm-hmm. didn't, he didn't bend to the will of the corporations to make the product they wanted. He always made what he wanted to make. Yeah, and you got to respect, respect the hell that. Out yeah. Of that. Yeah, and that there's got to be something to be. I mean, I wish that more people were able to do that. Mm-hmm. And but I think Romero also proved by showing, well, you may be able to make what you want, but it might flop, mm-hmm. and then you're not going to be able to get any money to yeah. make something else you want to do again. Sure. But I think that's the mark of a true artist that you you know that, and still you do yeah. you do what's right by yourself. Yep. It should be, damn it. We also don't need to neglect the fact that Romero was involved with the Misfits. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Directed yeah. the video for Scream. Yeah, and they amazing. showed up in his movie Bruiser. Yeah, which... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is a high point of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Misfits. Whoa! It's a nice thing to say about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't want to leave that out. because cool. that's a, Cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, there is supposedly another dead series film. I don't know if it'll ever happen. He was working on one, uh, I guess, in the last few years of his life. Um, the guy that... Wor- I wish I could remember his name. It's the guy that worked with him on Land of the Dead. He's talked about it before in interviews. Nicotero? I wish I could oh, remember. Okay. Was, I should have looked that up before I came. No that's, way to know. That's my bad. But <laughs> I want to say it was called something like Road of the Dead. Yeah. yeah. And it was like an extrapolation from Land of the Dead where it's even more torn down and apocalyptic. I think a little like Mad Max. Yeah, it kind of follows the truck, Dead Reckoning. Yeah. It follows that truck on like some journey or something, which would have been and pretty fucking cool. I love that. There's thing. been talks yeah. about maybe trying to still get it made with someone else directing it. I don't uh, know if it'll ever happen. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say Maybe that. if Nicotero does it. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. But then I'm not even sure if Nicotero will or do Sabini, it because maybe. they just... George is revered to them. Like, I'm not going to touch mm. his stuff. Like, True. But if anyone could do it, it's going to be one of them, you know. And then there is, I think, posthumously, a novel that came out that he wrote. It's sort of like a, a dead film in novel format. Hmm. I don't know if he wrote it entirely or if it was, like, mostly done and someone else finished it. I've never had the chance to read it. I really want to. I haven't heard of that. I've looked at I, some reviews. They kind of describe it as just, like, it would be another film in the series if it were shot. Interesting. Cool. Okay. Well, there's that. That's Dead stare. Some little notes. Uh, last thing before we get to the film, uh, he did make a lot of convention appearances, and I know that you yeah, met him, right, Jason? I was, I was Tell us lucky about enough that. to meet him at a Scarefest in Lexington, Kentucky. Our local con. Yep, local convention. And he I think was... we'll be there this year, right? Yes. Yeah. Not not an official capacity, no. of course. No. We're going to guerrilla style. We're going to George Romero style yeah. it to show up. <laughs> But no, he was super cool, super gracious, nice guy. He signed my Night of the Living Dead poster. It's cool. Really cool. Michael, any Romero memories? I, I didn't get to meet him ever, um, but my wife did because she grew up in San Diego and he was doing San Diego Comic Con and Ooh. she was going there. It's going to sound so hipster. She was there before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, when she was growing up, San Diego Comic Con wasn't what it is now. And she's like, literally, you just like walked in off the street. Yeah, right? it, was, it was a normal convention. And she said that she walked up and uh, she was in her cat ears or something. And, <laughs> and Romero kind of flirted with her a little bit. And she was like, I don't know who this old guy is, but I'll go talk to him. <laughs> and then like... found out who he was and then was like, oh, that's super cool. You know, yeah. I don't think she still has anything that was signed. I think it was mm-hmm. more of just like one of those... Things like Romero just said, hey, and she was like, hey, what's going on? Sometimes those interactions are cooler. Yeah, she remembers it. Like, it, it definitely made 
an impact on her because yeah. she's like because she just talks about she's like i didn't know who this guy was <laughs> it's you like know? first con we went to I, I believe you were there michael it was, it was at days of the dead i think it was maybe in Cincy. but like we're just like hanging out on the steps and Tom Savini's walking down, you know, we're like, Hey, Hey, Amos. And he's like, Hey guys, what's up? You know, it's just those little interactions. It's just, you remember that fun. forever. I will. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's so fun. Cause I mean, they do those things for money. There's no bones mm-hmm. about it. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of them will be like, well, we do it to connect with the fans. Yeah, I'm sure you do, but it's the money. I mean, well, I mean, they wouldn't do it. If they weren't getting paid. In some exactly. Capacity. But I think a lot of them genuinely enjoy the, it. And they know, I think, I think most of them genuinely know what that interaction means to they people. They know they're so. nothing without the fans. Yeah. You know, so, but yeah, that's, I, that's the most yeah. George Romero. I got there. Mine's a sad story. <laughs> so I never went to cons a lot until I was an adult. And so the first time I went to Scarefest, it was my first time at a horror convention in general. And it was the year Romero was there. So it might have been the same year that you met him. We just didn't know each other yet. Um, But I decided last minute to go. I hadn't really planned everything out. And so I get there and I was like, oh, I really would love to meet Romero. And I go and the line is like super long. And, you know, they got the prices up for like the autographs Mm -hmm. or any of that stuff. And I had not a lot of money to spare. And so I'm staring at the line and I'm like... You know, I'll be an asshole if I just get in this line and wait like forever and get up there. And I'm like, I'm not buying anything. I just wanted to talk to you real quick. And so, <laughs> sounds like that would be an asshole thing to do, but it felt assholey to me. And you guys know how I am with weird social situations. Yeah. Uh, so the whole weekend, <laughs> I would pass by and I would think about it and I would be like, no. And I would just kind of like watch him and smile a little bit. <laughs> like then, wave from the corner. And then, uh, then yeah, I never met him. Never talked to him. And after it was over, I realized, like, you know, that was dumb. I really should have just, you know, I love him. I would love to have told him how much his films have meant to me. Sure. I know he hears that from everyone, and it's whatever, but just to have met him once would have been cool. And then it was that next year he passed away. Oh, man. And it really hit me very hard, and I was like, fuck, dude. Yeah, you should have just gone. Never hesitate on stuff like that, ever, because you never know. I feel like there's so many... I, I mean, of all the people that I've met at cons, there's been some that I've like, okay, well, you weren't the nicest person in the world. Mm-hmm. But then there's others that if you were to just walk up and be like, look, I can't afford your autograph right now. I just don't have any money. But I just want to say, like, you've meant a lot to me. They, I mean, I think some of those people would be so oh, yeah, freaking absolutely. gracious about it. You know, I've had several. Of them, I mean, they'll just have conversations with you. you I didn't. I didn't actually them. get uh, Kane Hodder's autograph. But you did, and I was standing in line, and he literally <laughs> choked the shit out of me. Like, grabbed me in full-on Jason grab. Yeah, and like, awesome. I was not expecting that. I knew he choked people, but man, he, he's really squeezing. <laughs> but I, like, I didn't pay anything. I was just hanging out with Jason in line, and it's just like, you're super awesome, man. I appreciate what you do. And he's like, cool. <laughs> Die. <laughs> so, I mean, there, I think there's so many. But I get it. That would have been yeah. hard, because you always want to support where you can. Yeah, but. always. Okay, well, let's get into the amusement park now and actually talk about this film. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of the, can we just talk about why life? we love George and not going to the amusement <laughs> no, park? No, I think I think it's worth talking about. It's fine. Yeah, I know what it's saying. I well, get it. I, well, I think the important thing to remember is that this was a film for hire, right? And it was commissioned by the Lutheran Church, yeah, the Lutheran Service Society of Western Pennsylvania. That makes right. sense, and it has a very positive and still topical message. Yeah, absolutely. How much of the script was he a part of? I think virtually nothing. Okay. Yeah, to I my mean, understanding, there was a script written, they knew what they wanted, and then they were just paying him to take that and turn it into a film. It's not much different from the industrial films he would make with, with uh, limited image. 
company that he started, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, back in the sixties and stuff, cause they made industrial films, they made shorts, you know, they were, you know, shot for hire. Uh, he directed the segment of Mr. Rogers neighborhood where Mr. Rogers gets a tonsillectomy. Uh, tux- What's it called when you get your tonsils taken out? Tonsillectomy. That's the word. Yes. That's what he got. And George Romero <laughs> shot it. Hmm. I mean, that's pretty awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. Maybe um, he was inspired by that experience for some of the gore for. My so for, movies. let's just give a rundown of what the amusement park is about. A little bit of background real quick. Okay. That I have still, um, yeah, this needs to be preempted a little bit. <laughs> Uh, he shot it between Season of the Witch and The Crazies, 1973. Uh, it is his only official work for hire that he did. It was shot over three days at the now-defunct Westview Park in Pennsylvania. I wish that place was still there. And the budget was $37,000. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So now what is the amusement park about? Yeah, tell us. So, it's a metaphor. Um, but there is an actual amusement park. But all of the rides are kind of designed to be normal, everyday life things that the elderly might struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, it starts with an opening narration and kind of a preface of saying, like, this is what is facing the elderly in our nation right mm-hmm. now. Right. It's, it lets it's you meant know, to be yeah. an educational film. Yeah, right. It's like a PSA video. It, it lets you know from the get-go that, hey, this is a, a little movie about how we don't take care of our elderly and how they struggle and we need to be better and not assholes. Right. Yeah. Um, so I really, struggled, <laughs> I really struggled with wanting to talk about this one because I'm trying to think of how to say this and not sound like a dick. So I'm probably just going to sound like a dick Oops. anyway. Oops. Well, at least I get to edit it. Okay. <clears throat> I struggled wanting to talk about this one because there's so much of it that just really made me mad. Mm. Such as? Well, let's explore that. Okay. The fact that you hate old people. (laughs) (laughs) I love old people. So, but when I also kind of go back and think about it, when this movie is made, okay, it's very over-exaggerating the fact that old people are treated like shit. Mm -hmm. Now, the problems that the old people face in the movie, I still very much champion for. Like, I fully think that old people and everyone should have health care that is uniform and universal, and you should not have to try to beg to get seen by a doctor or not be able to afford to get seen by a doctor. You mean basic mm-hmm. human rights? Yes, okay. yes exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the things that's heavily in there is that mm-hmm. basically, and when we see this today, we see the lack of quality health care for not just elderly, but for everybody. Right. But specifically in this, we're focusing on the elderly that basically they're dying. So the doctor's too busy with other people. Um, you know, we see that all the time. Mm-hmm. So, but that really frustrates me because I'm not sure that, and this has nothing to do with Romero, but the focus isn't on the right place as to why. Hmm. I don't think it's fully focusing on why we don't have that access. It seems to really pinpoint like the younger generation and say... Right. I think part of it is they wanted to talk about ageism, which is kind of like this bias against the elderly. Right. And I don't know... Mm. To me, it really pushed that the younger generations were the ones shitting on the elderly. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at some of the vignettes, um, like the one with the bumper cars, where it simulates an accident on the road. Right, right. It's it's an elderly couple that has bumped into this younger guy who's driving. And before they say younger, but he still looks kind of middle-aged to me. He's not not like a... 
eighteen year old. He know? does, and but that's also when I'm saying younger. Like of course, anybody it's also who's, the seventies, and it's fucking hard to tell. Who knows, these man? That kid was sixteen. That was <laughs> well, a sixteen year old man. Life was hard back then. <laughs> well, Damn. also that same scene. Uh, Tiffany watched this with me, and she had some some thoughts herself, but. Uh, when the policeman shows up and they're kind of going through the whole like who hit who, who's responsible thing, the lady that was the driver mentions that she was 65 and Tiffany like almost spit out her water. She was like 65. That she, lady looked yeah. a lot older than 65, man. I told you the 70s. But even that scene. <laughs> bef- so it we're following our narrator basically mm-hmm. through the story and he purchases amusement park tickets and his tickets get him into the quote rides. And the rides are various, you know, problems, metaphors, metaphors for, for problems right. that elderly have. Though it does open on a neat thing. It was probably one of my favorite parts of the whole yeah. film. It starts in this white room and you see the lead guy and he's kind of disheveled and leaned over bleeding. and he's bleeding, yeah. bleeding yeah. beat up. And a version of him that looks perfectly fine kind of pops in and is like, hey, what's up? What's going on? What's wrong with you? And right. he's like, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And he says, well, I'm, I'm going to go out there. there. You know, there's an amusement park. It's going to be fun. And He's like, don't go out there. It's awful. There's nothing for you there. Yeah. You won't like it. So then we do. Mm-hmm. And we follow it around. And I think most of them, like, the, the one that was the weirdest was the roller coaster. <laughs> I was like, okay, what, why can't old people go on roller coasters? Like, you can. I mean, I'm 35, and I don't go on roller coasters. <laughs> they shocked. They get to the top, to the drop, and they're like, oh, we're going down. <laughs> what did you think it was? <laughs> yeah, it's a roller coaster, asshole. But it's not like those are new. <laughs> it's not like those are just brand new inventions. Right. That they're I like, mean, I ain't never seen one of these before. A, a lot of these scenarios are very heavy-handed. This is, this is not and, a and subtle be, movie. <laughs> be like very yeah. like heavy metaphors. Right. It's like, it's like any sort sort of uh if you were ever forced to watch one of those movies like uh, at church like in the youth group or something mm-hmm. yeah. like there's no room for interpretation <laughs> everything is spelled out for you it's very heavy-handed um i did think it was kind of clever that in the lines for the coasters they have the signs where it's like you must be like this tall to ride but then it gets into like you must be this young to ride yes yeah. have this much money have to this ride. much money to ride and yeah. you must not have like any heart conditions mm-hmm. or anything like that to ride right but then so there are some things, though, where I think there's some very valid points that are made, but I'm also not entirely sure that the people who wrote the story realized how ironic they were being when they did it. So one of the rides that the gentleman must go on is his to get his food. Mm-hmm. So he sits down, or he goes to give tickets to get his food. Well, there is an elderly man there. He's an elder dude, yeah. But clearly has a lot of money. He's wealthy. Mm-hmm. He's smoking a big old cigar. A giant That's cigar. You know. He's wearing a suit. And they are waiting on him hand and foot, and everything is about his experience. And he's <laughs> I, love just... the, I love the acting here, because there's not a lot of dialogue. Right. It's all very community theater, like big broad gestures yeah. and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's great. And so then he's getting, what did he get, like some big steak or something? Lobster. A lot yeah. lobster, yeah. And it's like very extravagant food, and they're going over the top. Well, the Mater D is like, <laughs> sees the other, the older man with not as many tickets to give, and he's like, put him over in the corner, kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. And he's served like beanie weenies. And, uh, <laughs> it's disgusting. I don't know what it is, and it's like, disgusting. So I, I get that. My like, favorite part in that, too. <laughs> Is the wealthy guy like looks and notices the lead, and then he asks them to like lift the table and yeah. turn it so he doesn't have to he, see him. He doesn't even get up; they lift him up yeah. in the chair and turn him around. But what's not explored in that is how about the fact that you not look at that hasn't that doesn't have anything to do with ageism. That's money. That's, yeah, that's money. Just, yeah. And now he's saying, well, that elderly people don't have; they live on fixed incomes. Yes, 
I'd like to change that too. Right. You know, right, but right. like these are things that are mostly capitalism problems, not so much ageism problems. I got the same vibe. And it was almost like the writers were unaware. Well, maybe they probably maybe those are intertwined somehow. Oh yeah, I imagine that. <laughs> but it's almost like the writers were unaware. Like, no, this isn't a capitalism problem. This is an ageism problem. <laughs> but as I was discussing it with my wife, though, I started realizing. Well, wait a minute. What age were the people that were the teenagers at this time? Fucking boomers, man. <laughs> like. Is this an okay boomer episode? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I'm starting to think that the same things we're dealing with now, yeah, those were the people that were having problems with it then. Sure. Saying like, mm-hmm. well, you're old. Why don't you just get a better job? Right. Mm-hmm. Why, why didn't you save enough money? Yeah, exactly. So that's what, isn't that what we hear now? Oh, yeah. Like we're struggling so through the of... pandemic and everybody's like, well, why didn't you just, you know, make coffee at home more? Or why didn't you just yeah. stop eating avocado toast? Like <laughs> it's the same goddamn thing that's happening now, which does, I don't think Romero meant it that way yet, mm-hmm. but like how crazy is it that even in that time, it's he's, cyclical. Yeah, he's it's producing just... something that's so on the nose for what we're dealing with now. Yeah. But that's kind of what made me mad about the damn thing (laughs) is because I get what's I'm interpreting. I'm interpreting it through a current lens Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when maybe at the time I would have looked at it through a different lens, but what I'm seeing it now is skewing my taste for the film. If that makes sense. I can see that, but it still raises the same valid points. You know, I mean, it's still, yeah, I think so too, but I think it doesn't applicable. Ad- I don't yeah. think it addresses I don't think there's enough room for interpretation well, for you to <laughs> try to address what the real reason for the problem was. I don't think the Lutherans are trying to offer solutions to the problems. <laughs> They're just saying, Hey, you're treating old people like crap. Stop it. I mean, you let's know? be real. Imagine that a group that's just trying to complain and not Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, I'm not gonna knock the Lutherans here, but your faith is founded on nailing your grievances to a door. So <laughs> it's not like uh, it's not at like least, you're usually at least offering they had a solutions. couple of segments where they were blaming in the church for these problems too. That's true. Yeah, that's true. They did have an introspective look on that. One of the spots that I thought was weird um, that he gets brought into, it looks like it's going to be a haunted house of some kind. Mm -hmm. And then it's, he's taken into like what's physical therapy and they make it seem like it's this horrific thing. But I don't know. And Tiffany talked about this with me too, where it's like, well, you, you go to physical therapy to get better and to it improve. Does suck. And like physical therapy sucks, it, but you're it, there it to get does better. Suck, but it's, it's a good well, thing. I, I thought it was more like a nursing home type thing. Mm, I don't know. Because there's a lot of just people sitting around in wheelchairs too, like kind of catatonic. It wasn't just people trying to. I don't know if themselves. I got nursing home from that. That's what I got. I didn't. Well, you're wrong, impression. Jason. Oh. So it's <laughs> it's okay. Hey, it's okay to be wrong. Okay. All right. okay. No, the one that was the most interesting to me though was the fortune teller one. Yeah, if the young mm. couple goes in and they want their fortune read, and it's like, oh, you got to see it to the end. Which. That was dark, dude. It was dark as fuck because they used to have to watch it. And like, yeah, they go through that. It doesn't really spend much time on any time. They go right to the end. Yeah, right to the end. He's dying in a bed and they're broke and she's trying to get a doctor to come see him. And no one will, the doctor won't come see him (laughs) and all this. But I'm like, okay. But the weird thing is that they break up. That, that bothered me too. I was like, <laughs> why would you they break up? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it, this is a natural course of action. You're going to die. But the yeah. best reaction was that this guy just saw his own death in the future where he's old and feeble and forgotten and he dies. He leaves the tent, obviously shaken, turns and sees the old man, the protagonist, runs over and punches <laughs> him in the face. <laughs> 
was the best part. For me, I was like, whoa, okay. That dude didn't do shit to you, but okay. He did did not learn his lesson from that vision. Yes. (laughs) And then in the vision, too, when she's calling the doctor, he's at like a party or something. And that didn't add up to me either. No, that... I don't think he was at a party. I think he had a lot of patience. He was supposed mm. to be overwhelmed with patience because mm. I think it was supposed to imply that, well, and this is not wrong from today <laughs> at all, that there are, that no one wants to do that kind of work because there's no money in elderly, in treating elderly patients because it's all Medicare. Yeah. And so it was like, he was overwhelmed with patients and he was looking in like, but all look to be younger patients. Like slightly younger right. than the older one, at least middle age. That's what I got. I don't from know it. if I got that out of it because that's what I got too. Yeah. There was like a skeleton hanging in the room that was. I mean, like maybe that dude just throws hella parties and he's just like <laughs> check out my skeleton vibes. It was a Halloween party. It maybe it was. I don't know, but no, that's what I took from it. Mm. I thought it was supposed to be yeah. like an overcrowded doctor's office kind of a thing. Dustin is clearly wrong in this. Instance. Yeah, I, I could be. I really could be, but I, I just don't know. Like if I saw that vision, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I die. At least my wife was there for me. Yeah. And was trying to do all she could. To I help saw me a lot of sure. positive in that yeah. death. Like um, he was really old. Well, maybe he was sixty-five, and he's just like that lady <laughs> who got in the wreck. He was sixty-five and lives a hard <laughs> fucking life, so he just looks awful. But maybe. yeah, like he died at home in his bed with his wife next to him. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah, it's not better the, than most people get. Right? Not the right. worst way to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, my first thought would be like, "Oh, I'm, I'm touched that you." you know, tried to help me and did all you could. And yeah. uh, I don't know. Didn't sit well with me. I think the overarching theme that I got from this though, and this is what really struggled because I felt like when I said this out loud, I was going to be a total asshole from it. There's a huge bit of entitlement in the film. Okay, and boomer. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I hate to use that term though, but it also felt like, okay, I didn't actually see a lot of the elderly treating anybody else very nice. Mm-hmm. Like no, they weren't really trying to be nice to anybody well, else, other was. than the lead. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. lead was, but all the other things that we're seeing from the elderly, they're kind of being shitty to everybody. It's saying else. everyone's awful. Every every person is awful. <laughs> but but then I'm kind of like, well, why do you expect anybody to help you if you're shitty? Yeah. Or like the scene where he goes and one of his tickets is to buy groceries, mm-hmm. and he can't carry his bags. But he doesn't fucking ask anybody. Well, he's trying to stop people, but no one's giving him the time of day. No one's even looking his way. I mean, I don't think that's everybody, though. I mean, I... It's not... I mean, this is it's, <laughs> this is a very heavy-handed I know. little that's, short That's film. why it's hard for me, because I don't like heavy-handed that much. Well, the thing is, is, like, Romero does tons of heavy-handed stuff, but I think when it's his film and his story, there's, like, a layered nuance to it where he makes his point and it's in your face... But it's delivered in a way that you can really accept it. And I think the problem with the amusement park is that it's not his movie. And he's not really calling the shots. He, right. is, he is directing it. He is framing everything, making decisions, you know, telling people what to do. But it's a script that he was yeah. given to make from someone else with their ideas. Their, yeah. their like agenda here they're trying to Which I think might be realize. an interesting segue to say here is that when Romero's wife asks him, what do you want your legacy to be? And he says it doesn't really, nobody cares. But clearly we do care. But I'm almost like, I don't know if this movie needed to be seen. Because I don't know how much this does for Romero's legacy. I'm glad it's out there. I mean, it's it's it's, it's an oddity. It's a curiosity. I don't even really, I don't even consider it a movie. That's true. It's only an hour long. Mm-hmm. And even that, it's it's obviously meant to educate people. It's, it's more of an education piece. So maybe my hope is, is that with people shining light on this, 
and like us doing this episode about our love for Romero, maybe what my hope is is that they'll be like, maybe I should check out his other stuff. Mm-hmm. And because if you like, if you watch um, the amusement park and you're like, this is Romero, maybe it might not be the best intro. I, yeah, I, I don't think this is going to get anyone to watch any more Romero. I, I think this That's is, true. I think this is for fans. Well, here's, here's you know? the thing: That's Have true. you guys looked around at like other impressions on this film? No. Well, okay. I saw Shutter has. All the skulls filled in mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a little... Um, let me just hit you with some of this. <laughs> Scariest film of the year. What? The most intense and scary film that Romero has ever made. Who says this? Are these real quotes? Yeah, or are they just I'm, like... I, in the wake of seeing this and kind of being like, huh, I don't know what I think. I looked at a lot of reviews. I scrolled through Letterboxd. And it's, it's, there's just this constant, like, this is so scary. This is like the pinnacle of Romero's genius. Da, 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 da. And I... Is it, though, or is it just that, like, it's a lost Romero film and we're... I almost feel like, Dustin, right now you should take a picture of the face that me and Jason are giving you (laughs) right now. (laughs) Just a complete puzzlement. Post it on social media so that people can see, like, (laughs) our face. I mean, I don't don't deny that parts of it are disturbing because Mm -hmm. of the implications. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's disturbing because old people are treated terribly. And And it is Getting old isn't fun. You know, it's not fun. I'm starting to feel it now. (laughs) Yeah, I heard that. And it is um, well shot, and there are some neat like ideas in there, but right. I, I mean, I think it falls short of like any of his other films. It's it's and, unfair to judge it that yeah. way. I really feel that way, though. I don't I don't consider it a Romero movie. It helped me to know that he did not have anything to do with the script because I didn't realize that going in. So it helps me to know that this was a yeah. for hire thing. That's like, yeah, it's a quick few thousand dollars. That make also makes thing. more sense as to why Romero said to his wife, "It was just a three day thing I did. It's not really a big deal." Right. You so know? here's just off the top, just me rapidly scrolling through Letterboxd okay. and taking the first, like, quick reviews. The embodiment of everything that a nightmare is captures human disarray better than just about anything I've ever seen. An absolutely devastating film about the very real horror of ageism. A perfect Twilight Zone meets commissioned PSA about the horrors of growing old. <laughs> Th- this is the pinnacle of Orson Welles meets the Twilight Zone. That's I just that's pretty heavy praise that I'm not sure is warranted. If it wasn't Romero, they would be saying, "Oh, this is just some what is this crap? Agenda fueled, <laughs> poorly made crap." So, uh, like before we end this segment, because I think we're running out of things to talk about. Well, I got something it. to talk about. Okay, go ahead. I want to. I would like a remake of this with Brian Cox in the lead. <laughs> <laughs> I demand it. I mean, that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> Only if Brian Cox is playing the character he plays in Trick or Treat. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's what the, I, kept think, I kept thinking of tr- Trick or Treat. Cause, probably because of the bandages at the beginning. Wilkins? <laughs> what are you doing over there, Wilkins? Smells like a dead whore out here. <laughs> <laughs> and only if he says stuff like that. Right, right, film. right, right. I just think if they had, like, delivered the idea of what they wanted to him and said, like, just take this idea, make us an hour movie. Oh, that would have been epic. I want to see that. I don't want to yeah. see what we watched. Because I think what Romero often does in his films is he doesn't just complain about something. He gives you solutions right. throughout the film. They may not be the right solution, mm-hmm. and it may end up biting the characters in the ass, but there's still Quite a Quite literally, most of his yeah. movies. <laughs> Ooh. But it's still that idea that you, you have to do something. Yeah, exactly. This is literally just, this is the problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what bothers me about it, is it's like, okay, well, currently, that's what a lot of people are fighting for. A lot of people are actively right now fighting for better living conditions for the elderly. Mm-hmm. 
having more income, better health care access, like that you're not living on shit food. Like a lot of people are devoting their lives to fighting for this. So that's part of the problem, too, is now we see it when it was made in the 70s and we look now. Mm-hmm. It's very different. Yes, in the 70s, probably everybody was like, I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit if you do anything for him or not. <laughs> but now I think a lot of people are. And mm-hmm. I see when I'm out and about, I see a lot more kindness towards the elderly. And, you know, it is a cultural thing, too. I think we in America for a long time had like a not so great view going on there. But like in other countries, like I know in Japan, there's a lot of like more respect for your, your parents, oh, sure. your elderly. You get multi-generational households. Over yeah, there, you're supposed you know? that's your job. You're supposed to grow up to be successful enough to take care of your parents because they took care of you. Right, right. You know, like and somewhere along the way, we as a country have kind of lost that. And I think it is coming back, but. Yeah, it's still not where it should be. I don't but, think it ever will. Be. I mean, I, I really think we don't. can. And I think capitalism is one of the problems because companies, corporations, advertisers—they don't care about you. As soon as you're past forty-five, they don't care about yeah, you. Yeah, how much money anything. can you? How much money can you give me? And if you don't have any money, yeah, why do I you. care? They don't mm-hmm. care about you, right? They're—they're they're only you know they're, they're send, send them ads on Fox News about lubed catheters and <laughs> magnum pis <laughs> saying he's not going to steal your house the divorce and we do mortgage, get a but... little bit of that in the film with the the ticket sellers yeah they're trading money for tickets yeah and some people are having to offer up like their watches or their valuable like necklace or jewelry he's supposed to get five bucks for everything yeah <laughs> everything's five bucks. and they're yeah they're very like <laughs> undercutting the value of everything they have yeah and i do see that a lot Currently, and mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's absolutely terrible. And I think that a lot of times the victims of a lot of these money scams and schemes do tend to be the elderly because we don't give them enough options of yeah. of how to survive. You know, and maybe what the film is trying to tell me to do is that I need to pay more attention to the people who are aging in my life and do better for them. Well, I guess maybe it was harder for me to see because I already care a lot about that. Mm-hmm. So it was harder for me to see this movie and not yeah. think of like... I don't know, not be like, well, what the fuck's wrong with everybody else? Like, why aren't you doing this? These are old people. Just help them. It's when someone makes a very aggressive argument at you and you're like, no, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm so mad about this. Is I agree with you. Okay. Final thoughts on the amusement park. Jason. Um, well, I had one observation. Did you notice who shot it? Who the cinematographer? Why can't I talk today? I don't know. Who the cinematographer was. Who? Bill Hinsman. Who was? Oh yeah, the old first, Billy. The first, shut up. <laughs> the first zombie we ever see in Night of the Living Dead, the that's, graveyard zombie. That's, oh, that's fun. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, he shot it. Nice. It goes out in infamy now. He's... Which that also helps to explain the scene where the zombies come off the merry-go-round and attack the old guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was kind of out of left field, <laughs> but seeing that made it make more sense. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but final thoughts from me: It is what it is. It's a little movie about saying, "Hey, don't be a dick to old people." I can't hate that. You know, I can't get mad about that. This is not some lost Romero classic. It's not scary. It's not a horror film. It's about a horrifying topic that is still topical, unfortunately. Uh, just don't get your hopes up. I mean, check it out if you want to watch one of Romero's unseen pieces of work. Mm-hmm. But it is not. It's for completest only, really. What'd you log it on Letterboxd as? I would probably give it a... I mean, I, I can't. Can't. I can't judge it as a movie. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a movie. Yeah, I really don't. <laughs> I'm okay. going to have to agree with you on that. I can't. I don't want to judge this as a movie. I gave it a score. Of course you did. What did you, get, what did you give 
Uh, I gave it two stars because I think for the story of what it is and the fact that it is Romero and it is one of his lost works, it's cool to see it once just to say you've seen it sure. and be like, oh, interesting. That's a thing. It's not very good. It's everything that you said. It's not yeah. scary. It's It doesn't achieve any of these great heights or anything. You want to uh, see a bunch of weird 70s people. <laughs> there is some cool ideas in there. I would love to have seen what he could do if he just took the idea and ran with it fully. Yeah. Uh, but there it is. That's the amusement park. Yep. Michael, final thoughts. So I I wasn't a big fan. Mm. Maybe it's because they, I was agreeing <laughs> with them. Obviously, pissed you off. Yeah, maybe I was just mad. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. <laughs> I understand what you were saying. <laughs> Um, but I think what's more important is the reason that George Romero's wife wanted this movie put out there was because uh, the proceeds are going to help the independent film funds. That's mm. awesome. Um, That's so, awesome. So that, I think, is huge because up until his death, Romero was instrumental in saying in about indie films mm-hmm. and make what you want to make, yeah. do what you want to do. Yep. And these fundings, I think, also help get some of those projects made. So... Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think part of the deal with Shutter is that a lot of the revenue from this is going to go towards that, at least to help um, give exposure to it. So as far as like, did I like it? Probably not. Am I happy it's out there? Yes. Yeah. One, because you can see another piece of George Romero's work. And two, it's going to raise awareness for indie films. Sure. And Can't get mad at that. Yeah, we love yeah, that's it. Awesome. We love indie films. I mean, the last Quick Cuts we did was about an indie mm-hmm. film. So we love them. So yeah, there's my final thought. Killer. Well, hop on Shutter, check it out, see what you think. Disagree with us. Come tell us why we're wrong. Yeah, get yeah. on social media and rail at me about yeah. how I'm a commie, pinky leftist <laughs> or whatever. Let, it, let us know why you think old people should be mistreated and forgotten about. <laughs> oh, shit. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that is always the thing we stress, you know, that really when you talk about film, there is no wrong answer as long as you can kind of justify the place that you're coming from. What made you feel that way? Why you feel that way? So yeah, yeah. my final thought sucks. I'm done talking. (laughs) (laughs) No. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. You can find us on all your favorite socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can listen to the podcast on anything, iTunes, Google Music, uh, Amazon. It's even on the YouTube. It's even on the YouTubes. Uh, our Podbean site always has copious and exhaustive notes and links to things, so you can see the trailers of anything that we talk about. because Dustin writes them. I'm like a psychopath. <laughs> um, hope you enjoyed this. We love you, George Romero, and we miss you. Yeah, RIP, man. And everyone out there, give your grandma a call and carry a bag of groceries for some old people you see at the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe be a little kinder kinder to your elderly. But can I please say, wear your damn mask if you're going to go up to an old person? Even if you're vaccinated, put your mask on if you're going up to an old person. Be kind. All right. And that's our PSA. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye. Bye.